do we do that every day? Do we just do it when it's convenient? Or do we do it when it's culturally accepted or when it's popular? And that's a little bit about what today's message is about. Um, we'll be reading from chapter 15 of John, and I may be giving you the, uh, the end point up, of, up front, but that's okay. A lot of times the way a lawyer does things in a courtroom, and I know this because my older brother's a lawyer, <clears throat> and this is how he converses with me on every occasion now, is to tell me what he thinks and then prove it in a lengthy argument afterwards. <laughs> and, and so the point today would be that we love God because he loved us. And I, I have trouble getting away from this. You know, there's a lot of different areas of the Bible you could preach on, you could teach on, but I feel like this is where God has, has staked me down at. And it may be because I spent a lot of my years being a Christian, but not loving God. And so it's heavy on my heart to be someone who loves God first, and to do everything after that. And so this is my core focus. And maybe it's also because I feel like at times I'm not very good at doing it. I'm not very good at loving my God who loved me so much. And so I have to continually remind myself. And so what I tell you today and what I preach out of um, is a reflection of my own personal life, my own personal relationship with God. But it's also the very admonitions that God gives in His Word towards His children. And it's application that you will need to pray about the Lord where it applies to you in your heart, in your life. <clears throat> um, in John, you know, we see um, John chapter 15. If you'd like, you can go ahead and turn there. and You can be kind of proofreading it. You know what, I apologize. I'd like to begin with prayer. Let's pray over this message. And let's, um, if you have something that's going on in your life, um, a, a struggle, some, a burden on your heart, a loved one that is, you know, suffering, or maybe someone's, you know, lost a loved one recently. Um, I know my best friend Stuart and his wife are here. I'm so thankful. Uh, they were recently married by me. It was a privilege I got. Thank you. Um, and I love them dearly, and I'm thankful to, to see them here. And they just got back from their honeymoon two weeks. They traveled around. They camped. Um, they made friends with all the bugs in the Northeast. I know that part at least. Um, and they drove like some ungodly amount of hours, 40 hours or something. No, more than that. It would have been way more than that. How many hours do you think you were in the car? <laughs> yeah, so all the way up the East Coast and back. Um, A long time. Thankfully, they've got a nice car. It's a BMW, so comfortable driving. Um, so I'm thankful that they returned from their honeymoon safely and that they had a blessed time. And so if you have a praise, something that you'd like to just thank the Lord for, um, I'm going to open in prayer, and then we'll just have a moment of meditation of silence and, and go to the Lord with, with uh, those needs. Our gracious God, our Lord and our Father, we do thank you for uh, this time as we come to you, to your throne room, Father. And um, we just lift up who you are, God. May we better perceive the person of God through your word today. May we better see um, ourselves in your kingdom, God, and how you have destined all of these things, these occurrences in the word and in this world for your glory and for our benefit, Lord. 
In Jesus Christ, you are our benefit, and we thank you um, for being that which is love and how in your great love for man, you saw fit to condescend to our level, to come and to be like us, to be one with us. Even though you are so much greater than all of us, you have a heart for man. And as we study that today, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to better know your love for us and that we would love you better. Father, as we lift up needs and, and prayers and requests and praises now, Lord, would you, would you hear us and bless us through your Holy Spirit? We do ask this. Father, thank you for your love and your spirit and how you have drawn us now to worship you. God, thank you for this day and this time. And would you bless the reading of this word? Would you bless um, and would you would you guide me, Lord, as I read your holy scripture? Father, as we consider the things that are in it with all seriousness and soberance, Lord, would you would you grant us the understanding of your your word? I ask this in your name. Amen. Go ahead and uh, turn to John 15. Um, in John 15, Jesus is speaking directly to his disciples, um, either before or on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, where, um, as many of you know, he's ultimately going to be betrayed by Judas Iscariot. And Christ knows that this is going to happen. In fact, he calls Judas out on it early ahead in an earlier chapter, and uh, basically says, you know, you're going to you're going to fulfill this, Judas. And of course, Judas, you know, kind of acts like, no, oh, what are you talking about? But Jesus knows what's going on. Throughout many of the chapters in John, Christ speaks using analogies um, to convey truths and, more importantly, divine concepts uh, to his disciples regarding what's going to happen to himself. And what things he desire they and ultimately we maintain after he fulfills the work on the cross, which, as we know, is his death and sacrifice for the sins of the world. In chapter 15, Jesus has just spent the evening with the disciples after the Passover supper. Um, but before, actually, before we read that, if you would turn with me to John 13. I want to quickly read a passage from this and sort of set the stage for what Christ will speak about in chapter 15, uh, beginning in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 1 to 8. And this is important because this shows the relationship of God with man, and this shows Christ's ministry to his people. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put in the heart, into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his garments 
took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing to you, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And of course, Christ is speaking ahead. He's looking ahead at what he's going to do. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered and said to him, If I do not wash you, you have no part in me. Our God humbles himself to the point. He loves his children so much that he does this humiliating act, really. People that washed other people's feet were servants, or lower than servants, slaves. And here Christ is coming to his disciples. This is an ultimate act of love of how much Christ loves his children. And in chapter 15, we see that, and you can go ahead and turn back there, that, and the main point I'm, I'm making is that if we're not abiding in Christ's love, then he has no part in us. And we have no part in him. And that's extremely important. This is a difficult thing to face because this challenges each and every one of us to actually be Christians, not just to say, yeah, Jesus, Bible, God, I was baptized, you know, I confessed, I said a prayer. But this hits at the very importance of putting the feet on the road and living the life of a Christian and being that which God calls us to be. And so now we'll read chapter 15, verses 1 through 12. And Jesus uses a picture here of a vine and the vine dresser. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. There's a whole lot there. There's so much you could teach on. I mean, you could pick one couple of verses and just spend all day there. But the main focus of this verse is Christ's love for us and our love for Him abiding in that love. 
If we look at chapter 13, you see that picture there of Christ loving us so much because He's abiding in the Father's commandments in chapter 13. He's explaining to them, there's something I'm going to do. This is going to be a really hard thing. But I love you this much that I'm going to follow my Father's commandments. He knew what He had to do, and He mentions it in chapter 13. There's something He's going to do. When Christ says in verse 1, I am the true vine, we stop right there. That automatically says there's a false vine. Christ is the true vine. There's a false vine. Now, as Christians, we need to take examination of ourselves. As professing Christians, we need to take examination of ourselves. Am I abiding in the true vine or am I abiding in a false vine? Christ would have no reason to say, I am the true vine, unless there be a false vine. He would not need to make that statement. And so when he makes that statement flatly like that, it should cause us to say, well, what is the true vine? A false vine could be salvation by religion. A false vine could be keeping or doing good works and assuming because you're a good person that that accomplishes what is righteous before God. Or where we would find somebody trusting in a false means of salvation other than Christ, where Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So we have Buddhism and Mormonism and Islam or any false god. And there's a lot of religions that they have a lot of good things to say. If you've ever read Buddhism, there's a lot of good stuff in there. But the way that Satan deceived Adam and Eve, it wasn't by a flat-out blatant lie. It was a lot of good truth. But he deceived them with just enough lie to make them sin. And that was what got them in big trouble with God. He told them things like, you'll have the knowledge of God. You'll know all things like he knows. Well, do you think it's really great that we know about all the horrors that go on in the world? Because before eating of the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve had a clear conscience. They didn't need to know about rape. They didn't need to know about murder and suicide. They didn't, that wasn't necessary. What benefit did that give them? But they would know all things, just as God knew all things. And here Satan tempts them, and they partake. And we see the fall of man, obviously. Now, God, in his providence and his sovereignty, knew what would occur, just as he knew that Judas would betray him in John. God is not caught off guard. There's never a moment where God's wringing his hands, worried about what's going to happen next. God's ahead of all this because he's outside of time. He's partaking in it. He's in the, the terminology I've heard by better speakers and commentators than me is that he's in history. It's hard to fathom, but God is literally, when they say that Christ came to earth, he stepped into history because God is beyond time. And so literally as, as he comes as Christ, he's partaking in something he's already laid out. It's wild, but we receive it because we know it's true. The other focus is that right after Christ says, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. 
So we see the Father and Christ here in a dynamic relationship. Christ is the vine. He is that life. He is that love that we are drawing from. But that vine is rooted in the Father and is abiding in the commandments of the Father. So Christ is calling us to abide in the same commandments that He's abiding in, the Father's commandments. He's saying, be obedient just as I am obedient to the Father. The neat thing in the picture of the vine dresser, and I've got a grapevine. It was given to me by um, my brother-in-law, my wife's sister's husband. He lives down in Florida, and he has a small vineyard. And so I know a little bit about what God's speaking about here in this passage when he talks about branches withering and being cut off and pruning and things of that nature. Um, and I was going to have some pictures, but something happened with my flash drive. I didn't get them loaded properly anyway. Couldn't put them up here for you. So you'll have to go with me on sort of a mental picture journey here. Um, a grapevine grows and it has a main stalk. And these vines, they come up out of the ground and they search for places to put their branches. The vine does. And the branches, they'll grow and they will just grow wild. I mean, these grapevines, they're, they're incredibly hardy. And they'll send branches out everywhere. But unless a vine dresser and... Um, in the, the old King James, it says the husbandman. It gives a picture of sort of this person who's to provide, to protect, to oversee. Um, but it, it, he's the vine dresser. Um, he, he, he prunes the vine and he cleans it and he keeps it doing what it needs to do. And the branches will grow wild. And right now my vine at my home is grown wild. I haven't pruned it in probably six to eight months. There's a season that you prune it in. And some branches are sick and they're, they're weak and they're dying. And those branches, they're not drawing from the vine right. They're unhealthy. They're going to be cut off completely. Some branches, though, are so strong and they're growing so wild that they're actually choking out other branches. They have these tendrils that each branch will send off and they'll wrap around and they'll choke off another branch. They'll kill it. The branch can even hurt the vine in some cases because it can tie around the vine and keep the vine from supplying the nutrients it needs to do with that tendril. And so if the vine dresser isn't overseeing this, the life coming you know, through the vine to the branches and tending it, then it's almost chaotic. The vine becomes chaotic. And so what Peter, my brother-in-law, showed me is that on the branches that are healthy and you want them to produce good fruit, and it talks about fruit here in chapter 15, you prune the branch at the second node or knuckle, and it's the way that the vines grow. They grow in almost shoots, and they produce a little knuckle, and they grow again, and they grow again. And when you clip it at the second shoot, it'll make that branch burst with fruit in the next season. Because instead of just pouring energy into the, the branch itself, just growing and grabbing everything it can, it causes the vine to fruit. Now, why that is exactly, I don't know. I'm not a perfect you know, plant expert. I do have a vine, and I learned enough about it to tend to it when I need to. Um, and the, the interesting picture here's, here is the father, the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Are we bearing fruit? What is that fruit? There's questions here. When God makes a statement in His Word, we as Christians should turn to it and say, this is towards me. Now, yes, He's speaking directly to His disciples, 
But the message here is also to us as believers, as people that claim Christ. And if we claim Christ, but we have no fruit, what does that say of us? And now, I am not the, the judge or fit to say who has fruit and what fruit that is. But God above knows all things. And God is there, a part of your heart and your relationship with the Lord. And so, when God speaks to us through this word and says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Am I, am I a branch that needs to be taken away, or am I a branch that's bearing fruit? Well, there's conviction there. And as we were talking about in Sunday school, we live in a nation that doesn't really love the idea of conviction. Because conviction draws a line in the sand and says, this is right or this is wrong. And either you're on one side of the line or you're not. And people that do this, well, nobody respects them. And you can call that being tolerant. But ultimately, tolerant means you stand for nothing. Tolerant means you really have no stance and you have no real um, authority. For Christians, we stand on the side of the Word of God. And of course, we know in our nation right now, one of the big things that's all over the news is, is the homosexual marriage thing. And as a Christian, you may or may not agree of what the state should do regarding marriage licenses or this or that. But as a, as a Christian, you should understand that God clearly states in His Word over and over again that He does not honor homosexual marriage. It's not something He designed from the very start. It was never a part of His design between a man and a wife, between a man and a woman. Uh, how we get to a point where we have no conviction in our nation, where churches are now um, hiring homosexual ministers, um, they're actively seeking them out so that they can become a bigger body of the church and invite more homosexuals so that that church itself can grow. They're looking for a homosexual minister in this area. And, the, you know, it's, it's difficult to speak on this because we know that we disagree with their sin, but God loves sinners. So as Christians, are we abiding in the love of Christ towards them? Are we judging them as, as completely lost and unreachable because they're living in, in a blatant sin? Or can God work in their heart? Can God change them? Or are they a branch that's completely cut off and cast out and burned, as the word gives here? That's, that's not for us to judge specifically. God is the vine dresser. Christ is the vine. We are called as Christians to love one another. As it said here at the end, the last verse, my joy may remain in you. That immediately reminds me of what Stu was telling me when he got back. He met someone on his trip that had an inherent joy for the Lord. And it was almost um, invigorating to be around. It was addictive in a sense. You, you wanted more. You wanted to, to be with that person, to experience it. A joy for the Lord. And it was a pretty neat story. It's a, a really great testimony because this particular man, um, he, wasn't, he wasn't excited about the Lord because God had given him a million dollars. He wasn't excited about the Lord because he had this perfect wife and this big house and a really great job. Quite the opposite. He was a cripple for the most part. And his body was almost a prison of sorts. But he loved the Lord with all his heart. He's almost been given a little bit of, of a challenge 
but it's turned into this testimony. You, you kind of, as a Christian, you can be a little jealous of somebody with an amazing testimony like that, that when they stand before the Lord, they, have, they know they brought nothing with them. They're like, I had the worst body you know, possible. And when they're redeemed standing before God and God's saying, I give you everything now. You know, you suffered, but you loved me. What an incredible testimony when you stand before the Lord on that day. My joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment. And this is the part I was just talking about a second ago before I kind of deviated. That you love one another as I have loved you. How did Christ love us? He washed our dirty, stinky feet. God, the one who spoke into existence. In John 1, chapter 1, and I'll read it just real quick for you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. You remember that vine that carries the life and where the branches? And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. The darkness does not comprehend it. How much power does it take to speak into existence our universe? Because God the Father spoke through Jesus, the Son, at the time known as the Word. Let there be light. And there was light. I don't know what kind of power that is, but that power descended to earth, was born of a baby, grew to be a man, lived a perfect, sinless life, and washed my feet. And it just makes me think about the times that I wanted nothing to do with God. And here, He loves me beyond what I can even comprehend is love. We read about it. We study it. We hope to grasp it. And I pray that that is always our goal, our journey as Christians, moving forward in our relationship with God. It's never a point where you state, Jesus, I believe you're Jesus. I believe you died on the cross and you died for my sins. And I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Okay, I'm done. I'm going to go home now, finish that part. That's an important part, that confession, that you recognize, that you repent of sin, that you come to a relationship with God. But that's the beginning. I think about Stu and Becky and their beginning as a husband and wife. You haven't all of a sudden arrived. And I feel, you know, I've been married three years. And I think now how I've got so much, I could do so much better. And that's, that's our relationship with the Lord. That's our relationship as a husband to a wife. That's our relationship with Christ. There's things I can do better, Lord. Please help me do them. Forgive me when I mess up. I look at my wife and I think, I'm sorry for all the times when I stress you out and frustrate you. Forgive me when I mess up. I need forgiveness. Verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. God wants us to bear fruit. Are we willing to bear that fruit, or do we really not want to come under that commandment of Christ? Are we afraid 
of what it would take to bear fruit. You know what it's like to be pruned? The branch, I promise you, does not want to be cut. It wants to just keep doing whatever it does. It doesn't want to be halted. It takes a hard, sharp instrument and you cut the branch. But what is produced from that branch, and we can maybe call that cutting, that pruning, the difficulties of life, the hard things that come our way, it produces fruit. And that fruit is not of the branch. The fruit is of the vine. The fruit is of the vine dresser. Without the vine dresser and the vine, the branch is just a branch. We have to be abiding in Christ. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. God's making a point right there. We need to have a relationship with God. We need to have Christ in us. Yes, we are abiding in Christ. But Christ, as a believer, is also abiding in us. Bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. You don't do some good things. You don't do a few here and there. You don't hit and miss. You do nothing. You may think you've done something, but if you did it without abiding in Christ, you did nothing. I did about 21, 22 years of nothing. Sure, I was a baby, infant through some of those. But I was an all-aware, choosing, 20-something teenager years, whatever. Walking away from God. Walking away from family. Walking away from everything that was important. Because I wanted to do things my way. I wanted to go where I wanted to go. Thankfully, the vine dresser came along and he pruned me. He stopped me in my tracks, in my desire to go off and put out tendrils and get a hold of what I wanted to get a hold of. And that's what this vine does, these branches. The vine grows, you know, pretty straight, the main stalk. But the branches, they go wild. They go everywhere. Without a vine, dress, vine dresser, not only does the vine not produce good fruit, it doesn't produce a lot of it. I didn't prune my vine when I should have this past year. And instead of having a lot of fruit, which is what you want from a vine, the branches just going everywhere, really, all they do is cause trouble, chaos. I mean, they're, they're, they're crazy long. I had a picture of, um, of a grapevine that had just grown wild. And you could think kind of like of kudzu. And I say that word, and most people are like, oh, yeah, that sounds bad. You've seen the kudzu forests around here? It's just, it grows on everything. And a grapevine will do that, too. It does it slower, so it's not as bad as kudzu because it just its progress isn't so rampant. But... It can do the same thing. So when God's pruning us, are we looking at Him and saying, thank you, Lord, at all times, even if it's difficult? Because we know that it's going to produce fruit in us. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire, and it should be done for you. It's a pretty awesome promise. When we're abiding in Christ, our heart's desires are aligned 
with God's desires, the Father, the Son, and our heart desires things of the Lord. Those are the desires that like Psalm 37, 4, I de- you know, delight yourself in the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart. When you're delighting yourself in God, your desires aren't for riches and fame and gain and power and world and earth. Your riches that you desire are heavenly. As soon as you delight yourself in God, you start going, Lord, what can I do for you? Lord, what have I done, what have I done wrong lately that you can, you can prune me of? You can help me bear better fruit. These things begin to happen as a Christian. And, and I know that because in my few, I guess, seven-something years of being what I would consider truly abiding in Christ, I've watched Him prune me. And I haven't always wanted it. But all the fruit that it come, that it brings, I'm thankful for. And the fruit is not for me. The fruit isn't for the branch. The fruit is for God, for His use, for His glory. That fruit that He produces from you. Think about how I should have been a branch that He just cut off and threw into the flames. And there are branches that God does that with because they never truly have a desire to abide in Him. They were never, as you would probably compare Judas Iscariot to, they never really abided in him from the start. This isn't a case of, uh, I've seen some people misuse this passage for loss of salvation. This is not a case of you had somebody who loved Jesus and then they just lost their way and decided they didn't love Jesus anymore. That's not this case here. Judas never really loved the Lord. He was there. He was a professing disciple but he was a branch that was cast out and burned. The vine dresser is taking two actions on the branches in verse 2. Fruitless branches are removed while fruitful ones are pruned. Symbolically, non-fruiting branches are non-believers within the visible church who appear to be believers, but whose lives are spiritually fruitless, immature, or carnal Christians. I know this is hard to hear. It's hard to speak, but it's true. I know because I was one. For example, one commentator says the healthy fruit-bearing branches represent genuine Christians. Now, we're not saved by works. Okay? Don't... Um, misunderstand that when I say a, a, a branch needs to bear fruit, that if you're not bearing fruit, then you're not saved. Um, and the branches that bear fruit, well, they, they, they are saved in the sense of they would bear fruit because they're in Christ. But what I'm saying is because the branch bears fruit is not why it's saved. Because you do good things on this earth, because maybe you try to bear fruit, that does not achieve acquire salvation in the Lord. That was very clear in the Old Testament. Um, The Jews, throughout most of their history, attempted to please God by keeping the law, by keeping works. And they were never able to really please God because it was a heart aspect. They didn't desire to be close and love God. Now, there were some that were, but as a whole nation speaking, they rebelled against God very often. Fruit really is the only possible validation that a branch is abiding in the true vine. And not to say that I'm a judge of that fruit, but if you see fruit from someone, spiritual fruit from them, it's a pretty good 
uh, reference that they have a relationship with the Lord. Simple point being, we don't please God by acknowledging Christ, yet continuing to live a life with an unchanged heart, never bearing any fruit or growth. Christ says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. It's important to note that the fruit we bear is love for God and one another. Those are the fruits. Now we could say that, you know, we could go and look at the uh, the passages in the New Testament talking about spiritual fruit and it's, uh, you know, loving kindness and long-suffering and those things. Those fall under love. That is love. Those are the more specific breakdowns of love. Not just any love, but that love that comes from God through the vine. The very love Christ says He abides in. A true testimony of that fruit will be evident to those around us. It will be seen. It will be noticed. It will be, to some, called joy. And so I have to ask myself at times, does anyone find me joyful? Is it ever coming out of me? Like I think about that man that Stuart met. Does it ever come out of me? And so we ask ourselves, turning soberly looking at ourselves, because it's important that the branch abide in the vine. What happens to the branches that don't abide in the vine? There's a fire over there. So we need to be taking serious account of this. It, it, it matters. I'd like to close this morning by turning to Psalm 119. I think it's the biggest psalm written, isn't it? There's like a hundred and something chapters just within Psalm 119. And I'm going to close by reading from Psalm 161 of Psalm 119. It doesn't get much clearer than this from God's Word. You can't read it and get any clearer than this. The hard part isn't reading it. The hard part is doing it. The hard part is going home today, tonight, and not forgetting everything that we read today or heard today. Monday, going to work, and not forgetting on Sunday that we studied this. Waking up, not abiding in ourselves, not abiding in the world, but abiding in Christ. Princes persecute me without a cause but my heart stands in awe of your word. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. Seven times, day, seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous judgments. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. Lord, I hope for your salvation, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies, for all my ways are before you. The vine dresser sees everything that the vine does. He knows what every branch is doing. I keep your precepts and your testimonies, for all my ways are before you. I pray this morning that we would, and I pray for myself, that I would begin to live 
more conscious of the vine dresser in my life and that all my ways are before him and that I need to continually abide in the vine to bear the fruit that the Lord desires. Let's close. Our Father, we do thank you for this time. I thank you for this word, Lord, this convicting scripture that um, reaches into my heart and, and shows me the times that I fail you and the areas that I need to grow better. And Honestly, Lord, I believe that your pruning hand needs to continue doing its work in my life. And I ask that you help me, Lord, to receive that pruning and to trust in you more, to know that your sovereign hand that is working over the vine, to bring forth the fruit that you desire, Lord, that it's all for your glory. And we worship you for that, Lord, and that we are truly blessed to have a God who watches over us so carefully and to have a Savior who, when we were unworthy, washed our feet, Lord. We do love you and we thank you for this time that we spent together and ask that you would work in our hearts as we go out from here today. Ask this in your name. Amen.